0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Hey, City on a Hill, how are we? sound like you're wearing masks. How are you? You good? Good. Lots of nodding eyebrows. We'll take it. It is great to be with you. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy New Year. It's wonderful to be gathered for this first service of the year and the beginning of our new series on the Great Commission. You know, Matthew's gospel. We'll spend the next four weeks camped out here. So it's going to be a fantastic time as we launch in this morning. Why don't we pray together? God of heaven, we are in awe of you and the fact that you're a speaking God. You said, let there be light, and there was light that you, through your word, you you caused the light of life to shine on our hearts. And so, God, we pray that you would do it again. You would speak to us now. We pray you'd recreate us, reshape us, remold us by speaking to us, and we pray it all For the glory of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Out the back of the middle of nowhere, there's a hill. It's not a big hill, but it is big enough that by the time you get to the top, you are out of breath. And on this hill where it's hot. Really hot, like the kind of hot that the grass under your feet feels like razor blades. The kind of hot where the trees in the distance begin to shimmer in the haze. On this hill where it's hot stand 11 men. Not much to look at, no fame, no fortune to speak of, but there they stand waiting. And they're exhausted. Not just because it's hot, but because they've had a week. In the last week, they've watched the leader they left everything to follow. Arrested, mocked, beaten, and crucified. And now they're hearing he's back. And so they wait on this hill where it's hot, out the back of the middle of nowhere. And as you look upon this scene, nothing about it says profound moment in history. It's 11 guys standing around kicking the dirt. But on this little hill, where it's hot at the back of the middle of nowhere, Jesus arrives and speaks words that will change the world forever. The great commission I don't know what you picture. When you picture the Great Commission, Jesus' incredible call to go and make disciples of all nations. But but I used to picture big, right? Massive crowds, trumpets probably, banners, some sort of red carpet, some sort of parade to kick this thing off. And yet here we stand, eleven guys, maybe a few more around the edges, but we're not told. There are about two and a half billion people today who call themselves a Christian. It is almost ridiculous to think that this little hill where it's hot, out the back of the middle of nowhere, is where it all started. So what happened? What could Jesus have possibly said to make this moment ground zero for the most remarkable and influential movement that human history has ever known? That's our question for the next four weeks. What happened here? What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? What are we supposed to do about it? This remarkable call that Jesus gives us to go and make disciples. So as we dive in to this passage over the next four weeks, this morning, I want to ease in. We're going to focus on just one verse, and we're only going to have two headings. Normally we have three, but it's early in the year. We're just getting started. So two headings, one verse. The first heading is this, an authority that's not you. So there's the 11 guys on this hill out where it's hot, near the back of the middle of nowhere. And Jesus arrives and he says this in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just think about that for a second. That is an enormous claim. All authority belongs to him. He decides what goes. He calls the shots for everything and everyone in heaven and on earth. That all of it, all of us should submit to him in every area of our lives. That's that's a lot of authority. In fact, it is all of the authority And through the gospel, Jesus makes a pretty compelling claim that actually it does belong to him. We've seen in Matthew's gospel before this chapter that he teaches with authority. He has authority over the wind and the waves and the created world. He has the authority to forgive sins. He has authority over evil and demons. And as he stands on this hill as the risen one, here's a guy with authority over death itself. The evidence is mounting. But, but even then, I reckon Jesus' claim here is going to make us nervous. And I reckon it's not him. It's us. As we consider our relationship to authority, as we think about our culture and how we relate to authority, I feel like Jesus' words just run against the flow a little. I've been learning lots about authority over the last few months as I've been engaged in a grueling turf war for power with my three-year-old daughter, Edie. Uh, the conversations... She, like, she's delightful, right? Super curly hair, really cute, very lovely, but a little bit stubborn. And so we have conversations every now and then, not, not often, but every now and then, where we don't quite see eye to eye. And it goes something like this, Edie, time for bed. Why don't we do one story, and then we'll go to bed? And she says... Daddy, I want 10 stories. Okay, Edie, that's a lot of stories. I don't think we have time for 10 stories. Why don't we do two stories and then we can go to bed? No, Daddy, I want 10 stories. All right, Edie, it's late. You're tired, I'm tired, and I've got to go and write this conversation into the sermon for Sunday. So we need to call it, why don't we do three stories and then we'll go to bed. I know, I know, I know, I know. How about this? 68 stories. (laughs) I can tell at this point, these negotiations are not going well for me, and so I have to put an end to it somehow. I say, Edie, look, I'm really sorry, darling. We'll do more stories tomorrow, but we're going to do three, and then we're going to go to sleep, okay? That's just how it is. And she comes up with the trump card, the argument that defeats all other arguments. She says, no, Daddy, that's not my plan. doesn't matter whose plan is better doesn't matter if my plan's a good plan or a bad plan. The fact is, it's not her plan, and that's the problem. I reckon that's a little window into the human heart, isn't it? That from time to time, we all want to rebel against authority imposed on us because that's not my plan. This inclination lies in all of us to resist submitting to someone who's not me. I reckon we've seen this pretty vividly over the last couple of years, haven't we? I can't remember more passionate or well-attended protests in my lifetime than the ones about the pandemic powers bill of recent months. Whichever way you lean politically, we have to admit that people cared about this a lot because it's a question of how much authority we're going to give someone else of whether we're going to submit to someone else having power over us. I think the passion comes because we're nervous. We're nervous about governmental overreach. We're we're nervous about giving too much authority to anybody. And so we make ourselves the authority instead. It's a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor. And, and he says, we've moved from an age of authority to the age of authenticity. What he means is authority used to be kind of normal and fine. We, we had kings and queens. That was no problem. We were in deeply committed communities where we had to give and take, but not so much anymore. We've moved towards an age of authenticity where, where rather than submitting to external authorities... The one who's calling the shots is our internal voice, our authentic self. And so the catch cry of our generation becomes, you do you. Your truth is your truth. Don't let anyone else tell you who to be. Or, to give you one of my three-year-old's favorite other sayings, I want to do what I want to do. And I get why we do it. I, I, I totally understand it. it. It's just less scary that way than submitting to the authority of someone else, than giving someone else the power to call you sh- the shots, because, because submitting to someone else's authority makes you vulnerable. You lose some control in that, and that's risky. Because there are way too many examples of people abusing that authority, aren't there? Wouldn't be hard to come up with a long, long list of dictators or CEOs, of bosses or politicians, of public figures or even of church ministers. Who we've given authority to and they've let us down. Maybe it's motivated by selfish gain or their own desire for power or wealth or fame. But but whatever it is, this external authority, they're probably not motivated by what's best for me. And so the easiest thing to do, the safest thing to do, is give myself the authority. They don't have my best interests at heart. Only I do. And so I should be the one calling the shots. At least, that's the logic. I think that's, as far as I can tell, a pretty common theme in our culture. But we have to admit, as we look at verse 18, it's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, it, it butts up against it pretty hard because he claims to have all authority in heaven and on earth. And when he does that, he claims to have authority over you too. Over all of us. If it's all his Having any other authority before him or above him is out of step with reality. Not only that, it, it's a it's sort of identity theft. As you imitate the king, And the implication of this verse is that you should submit your life to Jesus. Not just some of it, all of it. If you're not a believer today, I get how crazy that sounds. Just hang in there. I want to give you some reasons why I think that's a good idea in a bit. But before we get there, for all of us, believer or unbeliever, we need to be clear about what this is claiming. If you're a Christian, you have signed up to give Jesus the authority. Following him means following him. I have this friend, we'll call him Jack for the purposes of the story, and he's a great guy. He's funny, he's generous, he works in the not-for-profit sector, he has has this passionate heart for justice. And when I first met Jack, it was at church. He was not uh, someone who had faith in Jesus, uh, but he was coming along with a friend, and he ended up in the same small group as me, and we got to know each other over a few months. And I reckon after about six months, this guy uh, was just gripped by... The forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. After coming along to church and hearing the gospel each week, it just blew his mind that Jesus would forgive his sins and be his savior. And so he became a Christian, and, and he starts flying, like he did the Bible in a Year plan twice in the same year. He starts helping out at church, serving however he can, and, and he starts asking the best questions he's just so hungry to learn he's taking notes all the time we had so much fun and and then he meets this girl at a conference for work and she wasn't a believer and she was super respectful of his faith but they started dating and over time i noticed that his questions began to change the question came up what what does the bible say about sex before marriage which is a fair enough question and so we opened scriptures and spent hours, hours looking at different passages, wrestling with it and what it means. But then his question changed again: How do we know that the bible's really trustworthy and reliable? How do we know we 're really reading it properly? Then he starts reading all these obscure blogs and liberal theologians who have very strange ways of viewing things and and they did seem to gel a little more with his way of viewing the world, and, and eventually starts going to go into a different church that talks more about the stuff he's passionate about. Now, I, I don't know where he's at with his faith. Uh, it's not for me to make judgment on that, but I do know that I noticed a pattern. I, I spent hours with this guy. and it seemed to me that he was unwilling and unable to accept any answers or positions that were different to the ones he already held. I'm not the perfect arguer. It wasn't that I had perfect arguments, but, but I could not see a way for him to change his mind about anything based on what he read in Scripture. And it was a painful reminder that it's possible to build a faith that fits your worldview instead of building your world around Jesus. It's possible to make the teachings of Jesus submit to you instead of the other way around. Now, a word on deconstruction and asking big questions of your faith, I think it's great. Christianity is big enough to handle big questions, and if you've got them, you should ask them and ask them honestly. Honestly. We shouldn't be afraid of asking big and scary questions. But be aware that if you know what you want the answer to be before you start, you're going to be really suspicious of that. If you're going to ask big questions, you have to be open to what the answers might be, not what you want them to be. So I watched as this guy was just unwilling to do that. And, and I watched as he made the teachings of Jesus submit to him instead of the other way around. See, it's, it's kind of cute when my three-year-old says, that's not my plan. I want to do what I want to do. Less cute when we all do it in our own ways when we see that the impulse is alive and well, even amongst those who call themselves Christians. In church, you'll often hear people talk about Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? If you win a Logie, you're supposed to thank Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Congratulations, by the way. That's a big deal. Logies, nice work. Good job, you. But you're supposed to thank your Lord and Savior, Jesus, right? And the question is, are you okay with both parts of that? Are you okay with him as your saviour and your Lord? Do you really submit to him as your Lord? Or do you twist things a little so that he starts to submit to you? As he makes claims on your financial decisions, to be radically generous in a joyful way, do you submit to Jesus? Or do you find a way to make him submit to you? As he makes a claim over your sexuality, to be faithful in marriage or celibate in singleness, do you submit to Jesus or... Do you find a way to make him submit to you? Even more simply, as you think through your 2022, are you willing to admit that it's not really yours at all? As you think through the year ahead and and your decisions, your priorities, your goals, your habit stacking your rhythms, is it really obvious that Jesus is your Lord? Or have you kind of just fit him in It's part of a much larger agenda. Jesus didn't just come to be your saviour. He came to be your Lord as well. And all authority belongs to him. But here's the thing. I think that's really good news. I think that's really good news. Partly because the other way is crumbling around us, isn't it? As we take the steering wheel of our own lives, as we become increasingly individualistic, as we throw off the shackles of all authority that we can, we've never been so anxious or lonely as a society. Submitting yourself to the authority of someone else isn't easy. I'm not saying that. And I know that sometimes it doesn't work out. And that can make authority difficult to trust. But authority is not wrong. It's just a question of whether it's a good or bad authority. That takes us to part two. From an authority that's not you to an authority that's for you. We're going to turn to another famous passage in Philippians chapter 2. You might know this passage, but I want to pick up a thread you maybe haven't seen before in verse 9. See, in in verse 9 of Philippians 2, you get a very similar vibe to what you've got in Matthew 28, a giant claim to authority. In, In Matthew, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in Philippians, Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sound familiar? All authority, every knee should bow. Everything and everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth should submit to this guy. But notice why. In the verses beforehand, in Philippians chapter 2, we read these mind-blowing words. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Here is one who was equal with God already. That's a lot of authority. But he didn't abuse that power for his own ends, for his own gain. He humbled himself and became a servant. You might ask, who died and made Jesus king? Jesus did. But when he died, he died for you. He died for your sake. For your best interests. He died for your freedom. And your forgiveness. That is a love better than any kind of love you will find in in an authority figure, whether it be a CEO or a a boss or a mother or a father. But even more than that, as you look at the cross, you can see someone who loves you more completely than you could ever love yourself. So why wouldn't you trust him? If you've ever doubted that the authority of Jesus was in your best interest, if you've ever doubted that he was worth following, look at the cross and see a king who loves you more completely than you could ever love yourself and then consider submitting to him. This is what Paul has in mind, I think, In another passage that makes us nervous, in Ephesians chapter 5, when he talks about marriage, he writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Make you nervous? It, it does for me. And when I was first wrestling with this passage, I, I will never forget trying to work it out. And so, who do I talk to about this? I know. I'll talk to someone who's a wife. And so I asked my mum, Mum, what, what do you make of this submission thing that Paul's talking about? How, how do you go with that? I'll never forget what she said. She said, Dave, your dad is so kind. And he loves me so much. Why wouldn't I submit to him? Suddenly this started to make a little bit of sense. It's exactly what Paul has in mind. In the next verse, he goes on to say it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is not a self-seeking kind of love. This is not a love for selfish gain. It's radically self-giving, incredibly selfless. And when that's present, the whole thing can work. It's the only way that can work. What we see imperfectly in part in marriage, we see perfectly fulfilled in Christ. It's a big claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In fact, that's a kind of authority that should make you nervous unless Jesus is the kind of king you can trust. And he is. Because he died for you. The son of God crucified for my sin that's not my plan. But it's better than anything I could come up with myself. Because he loves me better than I do. He loves us more completely than we could ever love ourselves. And so we can trust him. He doesn't say, all authority has been given to me, so get in line, submit or else. No, he says, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I have come so that you would have life and life to the full. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me and I came not to be served but to serve. Here is a king who gave his life for you. So you really can trust him. So what do we do in light of this claim? This extraordinary claim to authority that Jesus offers us? Well, Jesus tells us in the next verse, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here is a kingdom worth spreading, because this is a king worth following. How do we do it? Come back next week all about it but for now just notice the first two words of the great commission go therefore the whole thing the whole idea of mission the whole idea of making disciples rises and falls on the authority of jesus the great commission only makes sense if all authority really belongs to him and the flip side is true. If verse 18 is not true, telling people about Jesus is a total waste of your time. If all authority in heaven and on earth does not belong to Jesus, then following Jesus is a waste of your time. But if it is true, if all authority in heaven and on earth really does belong to to this man, then knowing Jesus and making Jesus known has to be what your whole life is about. There is no higher calling than that. There's no no better time spent. There's, There's no better use for your energy or your effort. And if this king really loves us like that, why would we want to follow anyone else? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you died for us. You loved us enough to give yourself for us. So we pray for your help to give ourselves to you. Please show us the ways, the the parts of our life where we're not submitting to you and, and to humbly repent. We thank you that you forgive us when we fail and we ask for your help to change to be recreated to be reshaped as someone who trusts you and submits to you and, and does so in the freedom and joy that only you provide God we need your help for this so we ask you do a mighty work in us for your glory and not for ours and we pray it in Jesus name Amen